morning, everyone. Um, my name is, is Rich. If we haven't met, I'm the pastor here. Um, it is great to have you with us today. Let's pray and ask for God's help um, as we come to look at these words. Father God, we praise you that you are the God who reveals yourself. And we praise you that you have revealed yourself so clearly in your words. And we ask that today as we look at this portion of it, that you would please show yourself to us. And please would that make a real difference to our day-to-day lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to suggest something to you this morning. Um, I don't often call my own words profound, but, but I'm going to say that this morning. I, I suggest some words to you that are profound, very simple, and I believe are truly life-changing. Then I'm going to show you from this passage uh, why I'm saying that, and really it's not my profound words, but I, I believe what this passage is teaching us. The solution to every problem that you face is to know God better. The solution to every problem you face is to know God better. Yes, there will be other aspects to that solution, practical measures that you need to take, of course, but I truly believe that the ultimate solution is to know God better. Just a reminder of where we got to last time out, or if you're new joining us today, um, what we've seen so far in Exodus is that God's people are in a dire mess. They are in slavery in Egypt to a bitter and cruel taskmaster, and yet God has promised that he is going to deliver them. The Lord's rescue plan is going to be wonderful. He's going to bring them out from slavery and then into the promised lands. But our kind of first foray into this doesn't go well. And it seems, this is what we saw last week, there are some insurmountable barriers to God's rescue plan. So first off, we had Pharaoh, Pharaoh's stubborn, rebellious Pharaoh who wants nothing to do with God. He's ignorant of him and he's proud and he won't let the people go. But also, we saw, actually, in one sense, the barrier that the Lord needs to overcome is, is his own people, forgetful of all that God had told them, and their faith that crumbled immediately when they weren't released straight away. And then, perhaps most shockingly of all, actually, this huge barrier of Moses himself, God's chosen rescuer, the one who he was going to do this rescue plan through. Moses, who who tried actually to go about and do things his own way, and then whose faith, again, crumbled like that of the people. Big barriers to God's rescue plan. But... God can overcome those barriers. That's where we ended off last week in just chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he, that's Pharaoh, will send them out. With a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God is going to do something so dramatic that it's going to change stubborn, stubborn Pharaoh's hard heart and he's actually going to drive the people out rather than keeping them there. He's actually actively going to drive them out. 
And today, we're going to see, I guess, as it were, the solution to these three barriers. Because each of these three people or groups gets addressed, to by, gets addressed by God. God speaks to them. And each of them, there is something that they need to know about the Lord. And ultimately, is they need to know that he is the Lord. He is Yahweh. He is I am. So first up, God speaks to Moses. And God wants Moses to know that he is the Lord, the covenant-keeping redeemer. The covenant-keeping redeemer. So what, what, what does the Lord say? What does the Lord want Moses to know? What's going to overcome Moses' reluctance? Or what should overcome Moses' reluctance? Have a look at verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. There you go. That's it. I am the Lord. God doesn't address his Moses' despondency. He doesn't say, come on, Moses, cheer up. It's all going to be okay. You'll be fine. Moses, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. Now, that should be very familiar to us. Again, if you're here in our series, back in chapter 3, we saw God reveal his name to Moses. I am the incomparable, eternal, completely other, self-existent God. I am. And he is the Lord, Yahweh. And so here, Moses is reminded again, I am the Lord. But what Moses here, what, what the Lord unpacks for Moses in these first few verses here, is it focuses much on the past. He, he, he reminds Moses of what he has already done. And much of this is building upon what God had already spoken to Moses in that, the, the burning or the not burning bush. It begins there in verse 3. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. He says, look, I am the Lord who met with and made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I established it with them. Uh, that's again there in verse 4. He established it. And then he now is remembering it. That's verse 6. Not that he'd forgotten, but he's, he's moving to fulfillments of that promise. And that covenant, though, promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was that God was going to make them into a mighty nation. That God was going to be their God and that he was going to bring them to the promised lands. And indeed, that promise is referred to in verse 8. This is the God who promises to bring his people out. It's the Lord. It's the one who had made these promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He made those promises. He keeps those promises. The Lord is the Lord of Moses' forefathers. But did you notice there in verse 3, um, this, perhaps this looks like a strange thing. I, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make, make myself known to them. Which is a bit confusing because Lord comes over a hundred times in Genesis. So, they knew he was Yahweh, that that name was used a hundred times in Genesis. 
it is, what we see here, though, is as if God is saying, look, you know how in the past my people knew me as, as, as Yahweh? Well, now I'm going to show you what that means. Because predominantly, they really knew me as God Almighty, as El Shaddai, as uh, this uh, all-sufficient one, this powerful one. And yet they knew that I was Yahweh, but now they're really going to understand what that means. It's going to be a, a, a growth in this understanding. Maybe you think of it like this way. You get a, get a newborn baby, and you know, mommy and daddy, they whisper, hello, little one, I'm your daddy. I'm your mummy. And they grow up hearing that again and again. I'm your mummy, I'm your daddy. Uh, and then over time, they actually start to use that word themselves, oh, mummy and daddy. But as they continue to grow up and as they experience their parents, how they act, how they behave, how they relate to that child, well, their understanding of what it means to be mummy or daddy just grows at every step. And here, God is saying, yes, you've known me as Yahweh, now you're really going to know what that means. You're going to understand it. You're going to experience it. <laughs> so God reminds Moses, I am the Lord. And I am that, that covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And then having focus on what he's already done in the past, in verse 2 to 5, well, now, uh, in verse, uh, verse 6 onwards, the attention moves to the future. And now God has the message for the people as a whole. And again, much of this was uh, said in, verse, in chapter 3, but is now fleshed out and developed. So have a look at verse 6. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. What's the solution for the people? Faithless. He'd forgotten all that God had said, whose faith crumbled at the first sign of trouble. I am the Lord. That is what they need to know. But who is this Lord? Well, he says seven things to them. You can, I'll put them up on the screen for ease, or you can just look down in the passage there. Uh, it's the same thing. He says seven things. Seven I will. Seven things, God says, seven things that I'm going to do. The first two then focus on this deliverance from slavery to Egypt, in Egypt. You know, they're going to be delivered from that hardship, that slavery, that, that bitter, bitter life, and they're going to be delivered from the thing that is causing that hardship, the slavery itself. God is going to rescue them from that. Then the, um, uh, the next one focuses on um, God being this uh, redeemer. He, he is, uh, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, the redeemer is someone who had a, post, a, sorry, a close personal relationship. Somebody who is willing to pay the price necessary to rescue, to deliver his people. The next two focus on the relationship that God is going to draw the people into. He's going to take them to be his people. He will be their God. It's not that just that the Lord wants to make their life easier. Great, let's bring you out of slavery. Phew. No, he wants this personal relationship with him. That's what we move into in the second half of the book of Exodus. Just a little promo for that. And then the final two, not only is he going to bring them out from slavery, but as we've seen time and time again, he's going to bring them into slavery. 
the promised lands. And then, just in case there's no, just so there's no mistake, he finishes how he began. Um, have a look down there at the end of verse 8. Look, I will give them the land of possession. I am the Lord. We, we got it yet? I am the Lord. This is what he wants them to know. But what does it mean that he's the Lord? Well, he is this covenant-keeping redeemer who loves, who is connected to his people, who is willing to pay the price in order to bring them out of slavery and bring them into the promised land. Now this morning, you may be here, and I wonder whether you are a little bit like the the Israelites were in verse 3. You know that they, they in one you in one sense you, you know God you believe in a God you you've heard something about Him, but your your knowledge is 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 lacking. It's got all kinds of gaps. You know all this stuff about God rescuing His people. This is it's all new to you. What what you need to know is that God says, "I am the Lord." I am the one who makes incredible promises of rescue and deliverance. And I am the one who keeps those promises of rescue and deliverance. I am the God who calls us into personal, calls you into personal relationship. That it's not just a, hey, let's make my life a little bit better. But no, God who wants to be in relationship with you. You need to know that God has made even greater promises of deliverance even than the one there in Exodus. All all these promises of deliverance which ultimately were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. In the Lord Jesus, he brings freedom from slavery to sin. In Jesus, he brings us into relationship with him as as the verse that Mark started our meeting to, uh, starting with, started the meeting with, uh, makes clear. To to know God is eternal life. And in Jesus, he guarantees an eternal future in heaven and the new creation. If you're this person this morning, I know something about God. I know he's there. There is so much more. You need to know that God is the Lord. Keep coming. Keep coming through this series. I'd encourage you to read through one of the Gospels and uh, we would love, people at church would love to sit down with you and, and look at the Bible together to help you see who God is. Please do speak to me if, if, if that would be helpful for you. It's all in Jesus that we know um, that he is the Lord. And sorry, I forgot to say, but most importantly... It it was all done. All these rescue plans came to their fulfillment in a great act of judgment, which we see highlighted here. But this great act of judgment wasn't poured out upon his enemies, but was actually poured poured out on Jesus himself so that his enemies, us, wouldn't have to experience it. That is the Lord. Or maybe you're here this morning, and actually you're more like the Israelites of verse 9. Because having heard all this, verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Sometimes suffering can be like these giant balls of 
cotton wool stuffed in our ears to block out the promises of God. And again, maybe you're here this morning and you know God to be powerful. You know him to be mighty. You know him to be sovereign. But right now you're struggling to believe that he is powerful and mighty and sovereign for you. See here again in Exodus and see again even more clearly in the Lord Jesus. You can trust his promises and his his good for his people. Just think of these seven promises that we saw there to the Israelites and think about how much more those promises that have been made and fulfilled in Jesus. Know the Lord's. Know that God says, I am the Lord's. Know that he is the covenant-keeping redeemer. Secondly, know that he works through his servant, his chosen servant. Verse 10 um, Starts as, as we would expect. Here now, uh, God has a message for Pharaoh. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh. Uh, and the message is brief, it's simple. Verse, 10, uh, verse 11 goes on, tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. Now that's going to be unpacked a little bit more in, when we come to the beginning of chapter 7. We'll get there in a moment. But first we get what appears to be this strange little interlude. You you remember a while back, uh, a few weeks ago, we we saw Moses giving his objections to God. Moses had these five excuses, five reasons how he wanted to try and get out of this mission. Well, he has two more now in today's passage. In fact, it's the same one, but he says it twice, as so to emphasize. It comes firstly in verse 12. Chapter 6, verse 12, uh, Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. And then look down to verse 30. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? In the Old Testament, to be circumcised was to be, to be marked out as one of God's people, set apart for him. And yet Moses does not feel like he has been set apart for God, doesn't feel equipped for what God is calling him to do. See, Moses sees himself as a barrier. He sees himself as a barrier to this great mission. And in one sense, we sympathize, don't we? In another, just think about all that he's seen and heard. All that at the burning bush. All that he's just been told. Very few people in history have had this opportunity for such a prolonged question and answer with the Lord. Very few people have received that personal promise of divine assistance. I came in a good time, didn't it? <laughs> Very few people did well almost. But despite all that, Moses is at best reluctant and at worst disobedient. But what we have sandwiched in between these two statements of I am uncircumcised lips is Moses' genealogy. It's his family tree. Why? Why didn't we have this back, perhaps back in chapter 2 when we were introduced to Moses? 
Well, first thing is just remember that this isn't what God said to Moses. Moses said, I'm uncircumcised this. God says, let me remind you about your family tree. Okay, this isn't, that's not what happened. This is Moses recording this later. Moses is inserting this at this point. There's going to be a reason why. But what Moses wants to show, this is what I believe, I believe what Moses wants to show God's people, reading this much later, is that he was wrong and God was right. He was wrong, God was right. He felt like a barrier. He didn't feel like he was the right person for the job. God said, yes, you are. You're going to do it. And he was wrong. God was right. I'll say, let me, let me very quickly show you that. Uh, we're not going to look at that list. Probably most of us were not particularly excited by it. Um, we're just kind of cheering Stella on in our heads, going, you can do it. Well done. I mean, I like the sound of jamming. You know, if I had a third one, third boy, jamming, that'd be quite a cool name. Um, if you read some commentaries, you'll find out that one of the names there means baldy. It's a bit harsh. Um, another means brilliance or excellence. No pressure then. Um, but the point really is in verse 14 there at the beginning, Moses' roots are traced right back to Reuben, who was Israel's firstborn son. So Moses' roots is from, descended from Israel. <coughs> Excuse me. And then at the same time, it's shown that Moses and Aaron were actually descendants from Levi, another one of Israel's sons. But it was this tribe of Levi that later in the book we're going to find were the, the, the tribe of the priests, set apart by God for this particular responsibility to be priests. And indeed, this gene- genealogy goes beyond even Moses. It goes on uh, further to Aaron's grandson, Phinehas, who in verse 25 we'll see there. That, so that takes us right really through to the book of Judges. What is this showing is that Moses... There's much more we could draw out there for time's sake. You can ask me about it if you want. Um, but Moses was the right man for the job. He, he came from this priestly family. He really is that, that Israelite who's been set apart and called for this. And do you see how that link is, is made and stressed in verse 26? You know, having given this family tree, then verse 26, these are the Aaron and Moses whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land and Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. God is saying, look, these two, complete failures and mess-ups as we've seen, yes, but the right people, these are the ones who went to do that. And of course, even as we read this, you know, our minds move beyond Moses. You just think, like, think, just think, imagine what God could do with a servant who was perfectly qualified and didn't doubt, but trusted him completely, served wholeheartedly. And I say that, and again, your minds are probably going there. We don't need to imagine. We read the New Testament. And how does the New Testament begin? The beginning of Matthew's gospel, it begins with a genealogy. This time of Jesus, showing that he is qualified. He is the right one, the servant. And then we read on through the gospel, and we find time and time again that that he trusted God completely, and he served him wholeheartedly, and brought about that ultimate rescue plan. I am the Lord, God says, and I work through my chosen servants to bring about this rescue plan. 
And then finally, uh, could you just pop? Thank you. Um, God wants them to know that I am the Lord, the only, only sovereign and powerful God. So beginning of chapter 7, attention then comes back to Pharaoh again. Um, this kind of being uh, Moses to go in to bring the people out is fleshed out a little bit. But again, just see what the Lord's purposes are in his dealings with Pharaoh. Have a look down at chapter 7, verse 5. We'll look at the rest of what comes before in a second. But verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. The Egyptians, too, will know that I am the Lord. The Egyptians, too, need to know that God is the Lord. And what in particular, what is it the Egyptians need to know about the Lord? Well, it is he is the only sovereign, powerful God. Yahweh is God, not Pharaoh or any other of Egypt's deities. We focus particularly on Pharaoh because it was he who needed to learn that humility. Pharaoh was considered by the people to be a god. He considered himself to be a god. Understanding uh, that each of the pharaohs was a, a a living representation of the gods. But everything in these early verses of chapter 7 and indeed to what is to come in the plagues, is to show him that he is not. He's not God. He's not sovereign. He's not the powerful one. The Lord is. That's shown at least three ways here. Um, See verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. What? And it, it gets even a bit more confusing when the word like isn't in the original. It's just kind of added in the translation to help us understand what you're saying. But literally, see, I've made you God to Pharaoh. What? Well, Moses, of course, isn't God to him. It isn't God. But Pharaoh needs to learn his place. It's as if God is Pharaoh, uh, Moses is Pharaoh to him. Because he is not God. And actually, God, uh, Moses is going to speak to him through his prophet um, Aaron. But Pharaoh needs to learn his place. And then verse 3, we read these words, but I will harden, this is the Lord speaking, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I will harden him. That can be hard to grapple with. What does he mean here? And in the book of Exodus, we read three things. We read that Pharaoh hardens his heart. We read the Lord hardens his heart. And we read his heart was hardened. And all three things are true. Pharaoh is entirely responsible for his own heart and his own actions and his decisions. And at the same time, we see here so clearly, he is not the one calling the shots. The Lord is sovereign even over Pharaoh's heart. And then verse 4, Pharaoh will not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. To what we're going to get to in the next few weeks. The ten plagues. These powerful acts of judgment. These signs that prove that the Lord is the only sovereign, powerful God. And it is then, once he has done that, then, verse 5, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. 
finally, chapter 7, verse 6, Moses and Aaron did so. Finally, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. And this, I mean, just crept in here, it snuck in, but this really is a, a, um, a, trans, like a, a completely transformative moment in their lives. From here on in, apart from one or two noticeable exceptions, Moses sticks to God's words and increasingly becomes the servant that he was meant to be and that he was. Finally, Moses seems to have learned. He does what he says. But Pharaoh too needs to learn, and the Egyptians, that the Lord is the only sovereign, powerful God. We started out this morning by thinking about these barriers. Sorry, could you have the next slide, please? My phone's just stopped working. Uh, thanks. Yeah, the next one as well. Um, we, we saw these, these barriers. We saw... Yeah, just chuck them all up. The three, please. Sorry. Um, we saw these barriers to God's great rescue plan. We thought, oh no, how's that ever going to possibly work? But actually, we've seen each of these three people addressed, haven't we? We've seen Moses addressed. What did Moses need to know? I am the Lord. I am the Lord, the promise-keeping, promise-making, promise-keeping redeemer. What is it the people needed to know? Particularly those seven I will statements. Those seven things that God promises and commits to do. What is it that Pharaoh needed to do that, that Perhaps all the biggest barrier, well, he needed to learn that he wasn't the sovereign, powerful one, but the Lord is. And in those three things, in one sense, those barriers are swept away. But what is also striking is that actually at the end of this, this passage today, in another sense, that they're not. Moses is still seems to be wavering, although he does finally get there. The people are still unsure. Pharaoh is still hard-hearted. It is going to take these great acts of judgment to show him that he can't reject the Lord, but needs to listen. The Lord is the one who is going to redeem his people, and nothing can stop that. He will overcome all those barriers. And what is it that all those people, all those groups needed to know? They needed to know that God says, I am the Lord. All those situations that uh, you might be facing this week, all those problems, dilemmas, confusions, worries, anxieties, burdens, heartaches, what will serve you well in all of those things is to know that I, God says, I am the Lord. I am the, the covenant keeper, redeemer. I am the one who, is, who has already acted decisively through my servant, the Lord Jesus. I am the powerful sovereign one. And so much more. That is what is going to serve you so well this week. So in those times, remember the Lord says, I am the Lord. Let's pray to him. Father, we praise you once again for this revelation of yourself. And please, with these words that you say, I am the Lord's, please, would they not just be words on a page for us this week, but would they be, um, uh, be, be life-changing truth in our, in our minds, in our hearts, and our lives.
Father, please continue to reveal yourself to us. Show us what it means that you are the Lord's. Please would we be quick to turn to you. And please would we trust you that you surely can overcome all the barriers to your rescue plan. Please would we look to you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.